It's November 24th, 2022. This is Rook. Well, hi, and welcome to episode 218 of Rook. Hey, Amazon, Apple, and Google, you care about human rights, don't you? I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto. Salam dustanazis. Durut bashama. Hey, Amazon, Apple, and Google, you care about humanitarian causes, right? Because here's a modest proposal involving Iran's current plight. It's time for you to step up like on other social justice occasions. It's time we heard about the Iranian campaign from some major corporations. Now, dear fellow Iranians and revolution supporters from across the diaspora, this is an idea, a proposal, a first step in making a case that we need to begin to address the real global decision-making base. You see, we have currently correctly lobbied governments and NGOs and UNICEF and charity groups to make an impression. We have rightly talked about laws and investigations and witnessed some real impact at today's UN special session. But if we want to get results on human rights at this crucial and deadly hour, maybe it's time we also go to the seats of real international power. It's no secret that corporations rule the world. Who else more directly affects the information in your pocket, the movement of goods and services, or the decisions made by government elites? And surely it's time for the most powerful corporations in the world, who expend a fair amount of energy claiming to care about humanitarian causes, to step up for the people of Iran who are being massacred simple and plain by a brutal regime clinging on to its illegitimate reign. Let's start with these three, Amazon, Apple, and Google. If you care about human rights, hear this plea. Oh, you've all been accused of being dodgy, but let's leave that for now. Let's forget about facilitating trade with sanctioned Iranian entities or mullahs using iPhones, because we know you are forces of good in the world, right? And part of this is our responsibility to help you recognize that this is not about politics or historical enmities or religions or Middle Eastern tribal warfare. This is elementary. It's about human rights, the same ones you say you care about. And I know the knee-jerk response might be that advocacy is not your scene, that you are big companies that provide products and don't politically intervene. But that's not totally true, is it? Hey, Amazon, this you, the benevolent company that helped Ukrainians resettle this year with free delivery of essential products and launched a program for refugees? You even started a teaching initiative to help Ukrainians in skills and career training. That is fantastic. You have a charter called the Amazon Global Human Rights Principle. You donated $10 million to Black Lives Matter, and you're proud to celebrate Pride Month. No shortage of merch, messaging, and support. This is impressive stuff. Social justice and human rights are clearly where you belong. How about the kids who are being murdered by regime thugs in Iran? Hey, Apple, in May, you paused all product sales in Russia, saying we are deeply concerned about Ukraine and stand with all the people who are suffering as a result of the violence. In 2020, after the death of George Floyd, your CEO, Tim Cook, said, Our mission has always been to make the world a better place and we're committed to being a force of change. Might the people of Iran count in your range? And Google, you enthusiastically post advocacy flags and give millions to flood victims. In September, you announced Google career certificates in Ukraine. You've overseen millions of dollars in donations to aid relief efforts. Good on you. You even changed the Google Cloud to help out. And yes, a few days ago, you did just remove some Islamic regime apps from your store, but 
surely you could do more? Because Amazon, Apple, and Google, it's wonderful that you've done so much for other social causes and countries and humanitarian concerns. We'd hate to think there's a double standard when it comes to addressing atrocities committed in a Middle Eastern country. The point is, if three of the most powerful entities in the world began to shine a light on the actions of the murderous theocracy in Iran, it might just accelerate the effort for them to be gone. And this is not about Western intervention or expecting the West to save a Middle Eastern country. No, a thousand times no, that's not the answer. It's about creating the conditions to support Iranians to not be executed for exercising their right to expression. It's about putting your resources where your corporate statements are and making a global impression. Hey, Amazon, Apple, and Google, you care about human rights, don't you? Imagine if you were putting some of your billions of profits into supporting those Iranians on the ground. Imagine providing technological support so that connectivity could be found. Imagine awareness campaigns on your massive international platforms that reach into virtually every place on earth. Imagine the lives you could save. Hey, Amazon, Apple, and Google, if you care about human rights, here's your chance to be part of the solution. Here's hoping you join the Iranian Revolution. On this edition of Rook, we are joined by guests from around the world, including Nagme Jaw, Nikohan Kosar, Shailin Asadullahi, and our regular young voice on the front lines in Tehran, plus the roundtable. This is Rook, episode 218, The Uprising. Hey, Amazon, Apple, and Google, you care about human rights, don't you? Here we go, live in the Rook Studio in Toronto. A big, uh, interesting, diverse show we've got coming up. Uh, hi to you, Pega. Hello. Hi to you, Shia. Hi, yes, the Rook right. Roundtable, as we've had th- uh, during this uprising. First of all, I, I just want to say a happy Thanksgiving mm-hmm. to those listening to us in the United States. I know for a lot of people, and particularly a lot of Iranian Americans, it's not that happy yes. right now. But um, but hey, it's their Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. the fake Thanksgiving. Yes. The Canadian <laughs> Thanksgiving is the real one. The of U.S. Course. one is a fake one. But uh I hope you guys uh, enjoy some family time, and if you are Iranian-Americans or if you're Americans who are following what's happening in Iran, maybe this is a time to um, gather the family and be thankful if the family is there and Mm -hmm. commiserate, uh, et cetera. Um, what a show we've got coming up. Um, Shailin Asodolahi mm-hmm. in Istanbul. Now, for people who listen to us regularly, you'll know that Shailin uh, was on the show about three weeks ago, uh, about four weeks ago, right after we came back from Istanbul. She's part of our documentary, actually. Um, but the reason we're bringing her back is because something you mentioned on, on, on Monday, Shia, her brother, who's a relatively well-known uh, poets, especially in intellectual and artistic circles in Tehran, Iran. Uh, he has been arrested. He's yeah. in solitary confinement, um, you know, along with many in, in uh, Iran. Uh, but he's in Evin, and um, we'll get a firsthand account of what that, um, of, of what the situation is and what the story is from Shailin in Istanbul. He's a great poet, by the way. He's a great poet. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
In Washington, D.C., Nikohang Kosar will be joining us, one of our favorites. We've had him on a couple of times during the uprising, uh, and we'll have him on again. He is remembering right now the chain murders of 1998, uh, which was when this regime... Um, targeted and went after intellectuals and writers and artists, very high-profile ones. History continues to repeat itself uh, in terms of the atrocities of this regime. So Nika and Kosar talking about that and also about um, some of the things that he regularly talks about, like why, for example, the, the Canadian government uh, isn't doing more and finally putting the IRGC fully on the terrorist list, etc. I know he has some, some opinions about Team Meli, too, and they're not particularly... Um, positive ones so we'll get to nick on that we're gonna go to tehran uh in just a little bit and sammy now um in our voices from inside iran series we've had a few people uh, who are on the front lines of the demonstrations sammy has been on a couple of times he's a documentarian uh at some point he was a comedian in his life he's a young guy but he's done a a fair amount of things anyway he's in tehran and we'll get um a perspective from him in fact we're gonna try and bring him on regularly to be our person in tehran telling us uh, the view from there in terms of what's been going on in recent days and here in the Rook studio, first up in just a, a little bit, Nagme Jaw. Uh, she is a graphic designer, uh, an artist, uh, an art teacher. Uh, and if you don't recognize her name, you will you may recognize her work because a lot of her work has gone viral recently. Uh, she paints. She began painting um, pictures of our uh, images of. Masoamini and then Nika and the, the victims of especially the young victims of this regime's brutality since the beginning of this revolution and these paintings have gone viral uh, she has selflessly given them over she's even got a telegram channel now where she just um, puts the artwork up and says you can use this in whatever you, way you want uh, in demonstrations etc it's um, rapidly become iconic artwork that uh that accompanies this revolution. And um, it's great to have Nagme coming into the studio in just a little bit to talk about that and how that has become her life. I, uh, just by how much work she's doing, mm-hmm. it's clear that uh, um, she's uh, probably working on this 24 seven. I'm not sure how much sleep she's getting. Yeah. So before we do that, let's do our Rook Roundtable and talk about what's been going on in the last few days. Let's start with today. Today was the day we were waiting for in terms of mm-hmm. this UN Human Rights Council or Special Assembly special uh, session, to yeah. a special session to deal with Iran. Uh, so, I mean, if you've been following, avidly following what's going on with um, news about Iran, you would have seen this in your social media feeds today. Um, it, it's been everywhere. Uh, news that finally there, there's been um, some addressing of the situation in Iran by the United Nations. Um, Pega, what you want to give us some details, and then we'll we'll talk about how we feel about this. Yeah, sure. So you know, like you said, um, we'd been waiting for this to happen, and so the UNHCR um, had their special session on Iran today, and they addressed the deteriorating human rights situation in Iran with a particular focus on the brutal acts of the regime against women and children. So that was kind of the main um, 
I guess, stance that they were taking prior to actually taking part in this session. Um, after the session, they accepted and reiterated that they, in fact, play a really crucial role in drawing attention, or rather international attention, to um, various human rights crises, such as the one that's going on currently in Iran, um, and not only just bringing attention to them, but investigating them and establishing accountability. And so that's where they came to the decision to um, have this fact-finding mission right. um, on Iran. And so what this fact-finding mission will do um, that they established today is that it's going to help ensure that those that are engaged in the ongoing violent suppression of Iranian people are not only identified, but that their actions are documented for future review. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a mo it's something. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's certainly something that a lot of us have been saying, come on, UN, come on, UNICEF, mm -hmm. where are you? So we can't complain when there's some movement. That's and right. first and foremost, kudos to the, I know there were some people, some Iranians, uh, uh, some Iranian-American women and, and who folks who've been at the forefront of pushing this, pushing to try and get uh, mm -hmm. results from the UN. So um, thanks and kudos to you guys. Now, in terms of the efficacy of this, um, it's one of those weird things where it's like, yeah. let's start an investigation to see mm -hmm. if the bad guys are bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like we already know who they are. We see the photos. Exactly. I mean, not that, not that that's the point. The point is the UN beginning to focus its uh, its attention but and and so I, I don't want to jump into being cynical and I know, I know there's a lot of people I mean judging by my social media feeds who thought this was a great breakthrough so mm -hmm. uh, and you know on an international forum to see it Iran being talked about at least that's something yeah um, you you're one of those people who thinks this is a, a great thing so it's funny because usually I'd be super cynical towards mm -hmm. you know something like this the UN doing something I, I've always been you know kind of bashing the UN and saying they don't do enough. And the last couple of weeks have been, you know, very consistent in saying that. But the reason why I'm staying hopeful with this mm -hmm. is because this is unprecedented. And what they came out with, the budget... What is unprecedented? Having a special session on Iran, first and foremost. And um, the budget and the resources that they're putting forth for this. So there's a budget of 3.7 million euros that have been established for this, for this fact-finding mission. It's going to be a team of 18 people that they're, that they're looking for. Um, it's going to be led by three high-level independent experts that are yet to be determined, mm -hmm. but that's the plan. Um, and more, more importantly, I think, you know, what we saw in terms of the votes at today's session, 25 votes in favor, six against. Mm -hmm. I mean, the contrast, 16. Yeah. Yeah, but 25. That, that was weird, too. I mean, was. abstaining on a human rights yeah. issue to me is basically, but anyway, go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, so I was just saying, I mean, I, I think, you know, the reason why I'm staying hopeful is because of this um, huge international pull towards mm. actually having this happen. Um, the 25 votes in favor, I think, is huge. We've never seen something like that. Um, and I mean, you know, money talks. So when this you say budget, we've never seen anything like that, you mean for Iran? For Iran. In yeah. the last 43 years. That's right. Um, do we care about the six nations that voted against this? I know, I know, Qatar was one of them. <laughs> surprise, surprise! I actually have yeah. the, the six nations. So it's Armenia, China, right. Cuba, Eritrea, Pakistan, and Venezuela are the ones that voted no. Right. The other sixteen, the abs the ones who abstained, I don't have the full list, but I think Cuba was part of abstaining. Qatar or Qatar, sorry, Qatar. yeah. Oh, Qatar was abstaining. Abstaining, oh, yeah. I thought they were. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but right. I, I think it's. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, this is my opinion. I think it helps Islamic Republic at the end oh, of the day. Yeah, it helps the Islamic Republic. Yeah, you know the the, the argue that Islamic Republic is using is like 
um, people were killed by the armed like terrorists. Terrorists, right? And so, first of all, this like uh, this council reduces the revolution to protest again. At this point, mm. it's revolution. It's blood. It has to be blood. Mm -hmm. You know, it's if if we want to say it's revolution. So this is the this is the cause. But again, we the the uh, again they diminished this revolution to some protest and why Islamic Republic wants to be uh, aggressive with those protests. Sorry, how are they di diminishing this and making it seem like it's just about protests if they're if they're talking about a fact-finding mission as to say crimes against humanity or something like that? I think everyone everyone knows. I mean, this is th this is just a show that uh -huh. UN cares. We care about all nations, yeah. but can I can I piggyback on that as yeah. well? Look, uh, first of all, it's like what is the expression? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, yeah, or, yeah. or something no, like that. Sure. I mean, we we've got to take it right. I mean, yes. it's like everything. Every little bit helps. Mm -hmm. And I've just talked about Google and Amazon doing something. I'm so you know. I mean, let's we're we're trying to get. Uh, attention so it's better than nothing and again some people re worked really hard yeah. just to get this so mm -hmm. kudos to them but to piggyback on what you're saying also like it's a revolution that's happening right now it's not it's not an event that happened mm -hmm. that you then um in retrospect investigate to see how did the murder happen you yeah. know what i mean yeah. it, it, this is an ongoing yes. revolution that is happening today crucially mm -hmm. in kurdistan today yeah. Yeah. so what I'd like to know is how long they haven't even named the investigators mm -hmm. yet. I mean, if if this is a six month process, that might be great. At the at the end of it, they go. By the way, we think the these mullahs are bad guys. Mm -hmm. But what happens in the in the intervening six months yeah. uh, beyond potentially the revolution getting quashed? Right. Yes. So that's I don't know. I'm looking at you yeah. as if you're the UN. No, no, no. But, but I have a response. Yeah. All right. So what's the response? I, I agree with what Shia is saying that, that this is a revolution. It's bloody. But I don't think that this you know fact finding mission is meant to um, change the occurrences of the revolution. I think the main intent behind this is that they're going to be this this independent body who's going to um, document what is happening. And we, we actually need that because if we are looking for justice down the road, that's what we need. We need an independent body to come in and have these fact finding missions and indicate and, um, you know, tell us who these perpetrators yep. are to have this, untrue. you yeah, know, so, right. yeah. so it's not about the UN going in and fighting the battle. It's about them documenting the battle that's taking mm -hmm. place so that down the road, when this revolution is in fact successful, we can bring mm -hmm. those individuals. To I justice. see. So it's not about helping anything right now. It's just like, if we win, then we, we are, we were able to document things. Well, when we win, I mean that, <laughs> yeah, uh, Hopefully. but I still, but I shy. I don't, I'm not, I'm still not sure. Uh, I, what's the expression? I'm a bit hang on this. No, 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 I'm not no. sure I understand. The revolution is bloody. Yes. Mm -hmm. So how does a fact-finding mission somehow diminish or mitigate the importance of the revolution? Um, you know, it, it helps if the Iranian revolutionary people uh, uses because now Iran uh, they watching Iran closely. If people in Iran right now they be more active and like in a huger in a bigger crowd yes. they come onto the street yes it would help because mm -hmm. they're watching iran right now okay so it helps but i mean for more than 10 years like they are 
the uh, nuclear agents they, they going to Iran to investigate something and right, they are right. masters of hitting something right, so right, right. I mean it at the like they can hit and they they be harsh on people right you know I, also the uh, an even worse case scenario we can just uh, run around in circles trying <laughs> to figure out why this is a bad thing but I, I don't <laughs> no, mean to be doing that but, but but also you don't want I'm 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 hoping and expecting that this is a first step. In other words, mm-hmm, you exactly. wouldn't want everyone to take the pedal off the metal, you know, and go, "Okay, well, the UN's on on it, so we don't have to yes. demonstrate anymore. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to do anything because there's a fact-finding mission now, yeah. right?" I mean, they, yeah. they should be going forward at the same time. It shouldn't be because now this is a the first win that we've had with, you know, an international organization all of a sudden we should stop pouring out into the streets. Right. And I say that about people here because I would never, you know, instruct anyone in Iran to pour out into the streets or not. I think But you, know, you again, can instruct people in Calgary to pour out in the streets. Yeah, because they have nothing to lose. Well, that's right. But, so but but sorry, it's one a good thing that actually it was heartwarming for me is like the uh, as you said the people in diaspora actually they had a good role the, like 25 countries is a good number mm-hmm. so yeah, it yeah. shows that our, our solidarity this time works and it's it's right. one of those chips right like it's like when we're talking about when i'm talking about these big corporations and we're talking about international awareness and it's another chip that falls mm-hmm. you know it's 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 another thing that's out there that we can point to and go yeah. look that's even right. the un is taking action on this and mm-hmm. maybe for non-iranians out there this yes. means something yes. mm-hmm. because we kind of all know at this point that yeah. the, the barbaric nature of this regime we don't need the yeah. un to tell us but Maybe that can be helpful. Speaking of which, and speaking of not waiting for deadlines, uh, the atrocities continue in Kurdistan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to bring this up with um, Nick Kosar because mm-hmm. uh, he, he's talked about that region before. But it really broke my heart talking to Batman Gobadi on Monday yeah. and and hearing him say, for the first time, I'm losing hope because unless people pour into the streets around the country, they are... They are dismantling, you know, uh, Mahabad and, mm-hmm. and, and Kurdistan, and 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 make, trying to render it ineffective as they go one by one through the regions of Iran. They being the regime. Um, do we? What's the latest on Mahabad? Do we know what's going on? Um, well, not specifically Mahabad, but in Javan Rud and Piran Shah in the last few days, there's been these reports of a green gas being used, right? Which is just the latest horrifying act by the regime on top of everything else. And so there's certain discussions online about what this green gas is, and a lot of people have tried to identify it. But the bottom line is, it's chemical warfare, is what it is, yeah. essentially. And the irritations it's causing, the the side effects that people are seeing, it's just it's horrific. And something I mean, about the eyes too; they're targeting people's eyes. That's that's with the um with the pellet guns, like right. the the I don't know what they're called. I think Sachma and Farsi, yeah, but I don't know. Me, yeah, yeah, but I don't know in English what it is. But it it kind of leads to the elevation or, or the deprivation, depending on how you want to see it, of this regime. Uh, it's now really in and amongst the worst actors in history. Like mm-hmm. the worst regimes in history are the ones who turn on their own people. That's right. uh, I mean, their own people, quote unquote. I'm not sure the Iranian people even see the regime now as representing anything associated with them. But but uh, turning on the Iranian people, this is happening within the borders of mm-hmm. Iran. Tanks, chemical weapons. You know, I mean, it's it's... 
you 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 really have to go to a very short list to find dictatorships and totalitarian regimes that have done this. Mm-hmm. It's really you can probably everybody can think of what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really bad stuff. <sighs> yeah. L- last night I because sometimes I watch the nation the said oh see Iran to web now how how uh-huh. they cover the uh, and so how do you watch it online yeah, yeah. okay and uh, like the the way that they they are propagandizing like court mm-hmm. these are separatists oh. these are you can smell that how brutal fight would be happening uh-huh. these days yeah well it's definitely a propaganda like uh, there's definitely you know uh, again, for uh, we had one of our guests we had on was talking about uh, some of the older generations, especially the ones who are not in major cities in Iran or not super connected with social media. All they're getting is what they're mm-hmm. seeing on the state-sponsored uh, television, mm-hmm. and of course, that's going to have an effect on the way yeah. they think, uh, right? Yeah, like the guy said that um, if the, these separatist court they can reach you they would do worse than what ISIS yeah. has done to yeah. Horrible. Yeah, oh, yeah in the meantime there are people uh, bravely um, putting their lives on the line to mm-hmm. to uh, support the movement one of them here with the backdrop of the World Cup mm-hmm. uh, and Team Melly and all the controversy around Team yeah. Melly is a player um, who used to be part of Team Melly yeah. was disallowed from, uh, you know, jo- continuing with the team because of his his outspoken. This is pre the last two months, pre the revolution. Uh, I guess it was back in June that he played the last his last game with Team Melly after the regime said, "We're you're, mm-hmm. sorry, no, you're not allowed anymore." Voriok Afuri, yeah. who again, if you're one of those people who's doom scrolling through the through all the yeah. your social media you would have seen his face all day in the last uh, few hours yes. because he has been arrested yes. um uh, he's a football player he's still been playing he's been playing with a, a small he was with Estaclal for a while yes. now he's with Fulad yes. and um but no longer for now because he's been uh uh, literally taken off the pitch. So you you have a story about you know oh, how he was arrested. First of all, yeah, he was arrested on the pitch on the field on the like while he was practicing he was or practicing, playing. Yeah. yeah, and and actually his kids were right. there. Yeah, right. so he was arrested. The thing is that um, the president of this uh, club, Fulad, is uh, Mr. Garshaspi, who is the father of. Armone Gershaspi, the singer of Charter mm. uh, musical. And so after uh, Vuria was arrested, uh, Mr. Gershaspi resigned. And a uh, few days ago, Arman, actually, the, the son, Arman sent a post that uh, they arrested uh, his cousin and his manager it's been a month that mm. they 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 have been arrested, and he also said, "I am under pressure, and uh, I cannot." Is he speak. in t- back in Iran? Yes, he's in Tehran. Wow. Yeah. Do we know why? Uh, I hesitate to try and make heads or tails of the logic of the uh, of this regime, but why would they choose today, middle of the World Cup, you know, controversy with Team Melly, to make a hero of of Kafuri, or they, is that? 
not even so one of the things that they said when they arrested him one of the um reasons quote unquote that they gave was for his arrest was that he was spreading propaganda against the islamic republic and seeking to undermine the national world cup team that's mm. one of the things that they said when they when they mm. actually issued his arrest or picked him right. up or whatever we so they're pissed because he probably said I'm not happy with Team Melly's silence know. or something. Yeah, I mean, it must have been something. Or, or you know, it. The, his last post, I was looking on Instagram, actually. And, you know, he's been so outspoken for, for years now. I mean, even back in, I think it was 2019, when that um, young Estagnoli fan, the girl, the young girl, she set herself on fire. Um, you know, he was so, so vocal about mm. that. He's been vocal about every atrocity that's taken place in the country. And as I was looking at his Instagram post, his very last post, it actually said... If you don't care about the killing of people, not only are you not Iranian, you're not even human. Mm. And I think the timing of that was in line with some of the conversations about the games and, mm. and things like that. So, I mean, like Shia was saying, I'm sure there's connections with, with uh, and, and, and by the And by the way, an asterisk on the play being that uh, um, the, the, the regime doesn't need or even have sometimes a reason for yeah, We're exactly. bringing Shailene on in a little while. Her brother, the poet, has been... Uh, has been arrested Ali Asadolahi and they have given no reason they just came and took him you know mm -hmm. so um, you know this is uh, yeah. th there's no sort of justice system where you have to um, justify yeah. why why you're picking people up but this is uh, you forgive me those of you who are getting all excited about Team Melly and again if you're listening to this uh, after the Wales Iran game tomorrow morning early tomorrow morning in our time zone um, and the Iranian team Meli has run around with a Masai Amini t-shirts on and are, and are uh, um, cheering on the revolution. And uh, I'll, I'll take this back. I'll, I'll um, retract this. But this to me is, you know, for all of those people who have been going, well, what are these guys supposed to do? There's a lot mm -hmm. of pressure on them. This is what you can do. It, it, it is brave and dangerous and, and all of that. But here's a guy who spoke out at the expense of his it's, career. Yeah. Uh, you know, he wasn't invited back on the national team. Uh, he is a little older. He's not at the front end of his career, but still. And he's been arrested. But he's a hero. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's to, today. Definitely. He is a hero. And that's that's an example of what can be done. This is not hypothetical. This is not comparing the women's basketball team to uh, the soccer team mm -hmm. and where everybody goes. Oh, this is more important. It's Team Melly, the boy, the men. You know, here's a guy who yeah. has been, you know, like Ali Dai and and Ali Karimi. He's yeah. he's speaking out and and in his case, paying the price. And let's not forget that he is court as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so. You, you want to say anything more about him? Because I'm going to ask you about Team Melly. Um, no, I think that's... Because you were, were softening on Team Melly, <laughs> which is okay. There's a lot of people who think that, you know, let's not be too hard yeah. on them. They tried. They sang the anthem. But certainly not our guests that we've mm -hmm. had on, and including Sahar, who was in the stadium and yeah. was yelling at them. But um, where, where are you at now? You know, I feel like this this uh, this whole World Cup, I've been so conflicted. And I, I have days where, like you said, I soften up. And then other days where I see an interview from the coach or some of the players and I'm just like furious I mean <clears throat> some of the statements that were made at that press conference after the game I was just I was ready to throw something at the TV I was so well, angry well for all of the people who I got some people pushing back on me going why are you being so hard on Team Melly and stuff I mean 
wasn't didn't one of them i think it's taught at me or somebody he said, said i don't care about politics yeah, yeah. i mean they're <laughs> not even i mean it's not it's not like it's not like oh my god they're trying so hard mm-hmm. to be revolutionary and they're yeah. you know their hands are tied the guy's saying ah, no, I don't, that, yeah, that's exactly this what is I was not my thing to. i'm not here for politics yeah. it's like dude come yeah. on this yeah. is not politics well that and that's exactly it that's what i was saying that you know it, it's really difficult to see something like that and want to soften up to team Milly. Mm-hmm. but then at the same time the the reason i had i think it was a couple of days ago or you know seeing some videos and conversation that i was having moments where i was softening up to team Milly is because um the media has played such a large role in manipulating what was happening at that game and you know all we saw so on well all we saw on tsn and and other sports channels and things like that was you know these um very islamic regime looking fans Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. happiness portrayed by them and you know the 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 lack of um any sort of support from the team and and so on and so forth tsn is the canadian network i should mention and tsn but that feed is the qatari is is i'm guessing i don't think tsn has its own setup in the in the so yeah so we're watching the the qatari feed but i should note that uh roham was watching the american fox coverage Mm -hmm. and uh what they didn't show the knee uh, the english players taking the knee whereas we saw that on tsn yeah Mm -hmm. so there are some differences in terms of the what what the feed shows and doesn't show yeah and that's why i'm saying i think the media has been super manipulative in terms of what they've shown and what they haven't and the reason i was starting to soften up is because going through social media what i've started to see is you know these scenes that looked completely different coming from these sports channels so for example one of the things was you know there were there was a viral video after the game that showed um fans yelling bisharaf at the game and so everyone thought that the fans were yelling this towards the players and you know they were showing that they were angry with the players and all of that so a day later after the game this video emerged that someone who was actually sitting in that section had taken a video and in fact who who they were yelling bisharaf to was one of the fans who had traveled there from iran mm. and was pro regime not the players and so exactly mm. and so it was yeah. a, an argument that had broken out so the reason i had been softening up is cuz i i had seen things like that and i had thought you know well there's so much that we we hadn't seen mm. but then the press conference and things like that so i'm right back at not yeah. supporting the team and also the uh, uh, one video video released about the Boeing in front of Raisi and I'm yeah. not sure if you know what's that is it a, new, w- a new one yeah but okay. it, it shows that it wasn't a bow yeah. bow bow, bow. Yeah. it wasn't a bow oh, what was it it was like uh, somebody Mary yeah, yeah. say okay. hello to everyone and yeah uh-huh. it, yeah <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, but these things. But again, yeah. but but Tarami said it. Oh yeah, that, I mean, that there's yeah, no excuse you know, for. I just uh, can't. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because it's like at the at the end of the day, whether whether it's justified or not to be angry at Team Melly or whether you exercise that by shaming them uh, uh, publicly, which I, I it's not really my style, but. I just some people are doing that, or you just don't want to watch. Or it all of it leads to there is. I mean, I, again, maybe this will change. Uh, I, I doubt tomorrow, but maybe at the U.S. game there'll be some big action on the behalf of Team Melly, which will change the narrative because things do seem to change very quickly. You know, That's we've right. seen some people in diaspora who's been targeted, and then they go, oh, "No, but this is how I actually feel," and mm-hmm. things change, and so. Notwithstanding that, I, I I do feel like 
there's a pattern that's kind of settled in, which is that, uh, which has been quite consistent with what people were saying leading up to the World Cup, which is I'm just not feeling it. Mm -hmm. I can't get I can't get all excited. I can't you know. Uh, and even I thought, no, I, I reserve the right to cheer on Team England and Canada and stuff, mm-hmm. but, but I really haven't had the appetite mm-hmm. as a football fan to be all excited, mm-hmm. you know, even, even t- games that have nothing to do with the yeah, Iranian yeah. team. I, I'm finding it hard to, you yeah. know, I, I kind of watch and go, okay, you know, um, almost like a bystander yeah. when, when yeah. the teams of my whole life I've wanted to, you know, have mm-hmm. in the World Cup are there. So I think that that may be the lasting residue for Iranians of this mm-hmm. World Cup if nothing major happens. I mean, yeah. listen, if they win, if they beat Wales 10 nothing tomorrow, maybe people will suddenly be really proud of them. I don't know, <laughs> right? Uh, they certainly have to play better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were going to bring somebody on. It doesn't matter who it is. It was a... Uh, She's a sports analyst uh, of some kind, and uh, and then there was a scheduling issue. But I really wanted to bring her on the show because her position was, she's Iranian, um, lives in Europe. Her position was that uh, Iran threw the game, like that Iran is intentionally losing. Really? Yeah. Like the players are... This is their form of protest. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't want to win. That's a really strange it's, form of protest. It's I gotta quite say. a stretch. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but she was like, uh, you know, the team just simply isn't that bad. They they to play that badly that they had to be trying to play. I mean, it does fit neatly into the mm-hmm. Iranian uh, conspiracy theory uh, box, you know. Uh, but uh, but th- that's another opinion out there that th- that the loss was. In- and I said, so are you? Are you going to be? Are you are you hoping Team Melly wins against Wales? And she said, No, and nor are they. they're gonna continue to lose as a protest against the regime so i mean that's uh interesting yeah Yeah. unfortunately i uh, i don't want to name her because i don't i I want her to be able to to defend herself Mm -hmm. and come on and on the show and talk about that Uh, but it's quite a position yeah yeah (laughs) i mean i i just remembered we, we passed that topic but have you seen the the woman in the UN Council. She lost her papers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh the, my gosh. the lead uh, Iranian <laughs> hijab woman. Yeah. yeah. So well. she, first of all, that speech, parts of it are, are copied. That's not her speech. What do you so mean? It's plagiarized. Parts from, of that speech is actually, it belongs to. Um, Michelle Obama. Is this no, like no, when no. Uh, um, Melania Hillel, Trump. Hillel Nauer, if I'm, spe- oh, if yeah, I'm saying yeah. his name correctly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the correct pronunciation, but parts of the speech actually belong to him. But he's a he's not pro. Oh no, I know they 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 wrote it in a way where they twisted the things that were in the speech and and used it for their own benefit. No, I didn't actually. I saw people talking about that. So no, what happens? She have to watch she oh, loses yeah, her focus. Or you something? have to watch it right now. But <laughs> believe me, <laughs> she's uh, she's got these papers in front of her, and because it's not an authentic, like she hasn't written this speech, obviously, so she's just reading off of it. Um, and sh- and I'm pretty sure she doesn't understand some of the words because mm-hmm. the way that she's saying some of the the, the lines she she stops and pauses mm. and her thing and anyway so it all of that is a mess and then she loses her spot mm-hmm. and then realizes that she's on the wrong page so now she's all flustered and she's taking the other pages and trying to see where she is and this goes on for a very awkward couple of minutes I just sent it to you thank you <laughs> I'll look at it after the show oh I mean uh, 
you know, all of this is a distraction. Keep mm-hmm. it in mind. Yes. <laughs> just like the World Cup, you know, let's keep the eyes yeah. on the focus on what's going on in Iran yeah. because this stuff, the memes can sometimes become the thing we end up talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Shia. Thank you, Pega. Thank you. Let's do a quick, uh, uh, Pega, I know you got to get out of yep. here and our guest is coming thank in. Uh, so our first guest is actually in the Rook studio, so she's coming in right now. Um, remember, coming up, we have Nikahen Kosar in Washington, D.C., Shailene Asadolahi in uh, in Istanbul, and uh, Sami, our roving reporter in Tehran, who is uh, in, involved in the protests there. Okay, we're in place here. Let's get to our first guest. My first guest today is an Iranian-Canadian graphic designer, a painter, an illustrator, and also an art teacher who has been using her art as a powerful platform for solidarity with Iranians during this time. After the killing of Masa Amini, Nagmed Jaw started painting portraits of the victims of the regime brutality. These paintings have gone viral and have been used in demonstrations worldwide in the past two months. And right now, Nagmed Jaw joins me live here in the Rook studio in Toronto. Hello. Hello. Nice to have you here. Nice for inviting me. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I, I see, I follow you and see that you're doing such prolific um, work. I mean, these paintings can't, you can't do these very quickly. They're really detailed and they're really beautiful. And so I, I, I have this image of you just 24-7 putting out these um, these paintings. And I can add that uh, painting these pictures is not easy because it's not only painting. I can feel the pain of the last moment of these victims while I'm painting them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm doing with tears. It's very emotional. I got so emotional for each painting, but I, um, as soon as I start doing that and I saw that how I can connect with all Iranian all around the world, I found myself in a situation that uh, I have to be part of supporting the visual part of this movement. Mm. Well, Nakhmajan, actually take me back to that decision. In September, when you first decided to draw a portrait, it was Masa Amini at the time, related to this movement. Um, This is before it had morphed into the revolution it is now. Tell me about that decision. Um, I wasn't uh, an indifferent person about the event in the world. I I was always trying to capture it with my brush Mm. um, with whatever is happening. And uh, that was uh, actually everyone was very emotional when we happened about Masa Amini, that innocent, beautiful girl. And um, so the only thing that at that moment um, I could do to cope with that pain, to process it, for me, painting is a way of grieving or mourning for catharsis. Yes, yeah, and uh, this is my language that mm. there is n- they don't it doesn't need a translation. And um, actually, I started doing that, but very soon I got connected with all Iranian all around the world, and the story changed that I'm not working a standby days and nights. I mean, did you have any sense of? You know, there's a there's another painting of yours, a portrait of um, this one is it's it's Nika and Masa singing together. together Nika, is, another yeah. girl that was killed by the regime. Of course, we all know that one has 
219,000 likes. Not not views, likes. So that means the it's probably been views six millions. million times. Six yeah, millions, millions of yeah. times. Uh, uh, did you have any idea that these these paintings of yours are going to connect this way? Um, you know, from the day that that uh, movement started, um, it was like a movie trailer with the event and everything that the videos and pictures are coming up. And we don't even have time to think about it, to make a decision that, okay, I'm going to do that with that expectation. Um, to be honest, I had no idea about that. This, that was the only thing that at that moment, as an artist, I thought that I have to do that. Mm. I have to bring these two victims together because one just killed because of the hijab and the other was killed because wants to uh, fight for fight for Mahsa. Mm -hmm. And um, they are like all brother and sister. They all lost their lives just because of each other. Yeah. For whatever reason they get killed. I know people are getting killed in this movement that they are standing on the street or sitting in the car, not even protesting, lots of innocent kids. So um, it uh, doesn't matter that who killed for that reason, it, it's this uh, cruelty. This is something that we have to cry out to the world. And um, when I saw that uh, people passionately sharing, exchanging my painting uh, together to raise up that awareness and cry out to the world that mm. for, an, for an action, um, I, f I felt that um, it's like a relay race that we have to run and get that piece of uh, stick to each other mm. for to complete um, the big uh, goal. It's like that we are all the piece of puzzles. Huge it puzzle. almost, in this real A-race too, it feels like you can't stop. You can't uh, stop. You, you have to keep, uh, exactly. and, and, and unfortunately, if if your muse, if your content is victims, that's not stopping either. Uh, you know, if it, whether it's Keon last week or uh, uh, Mershad two weeks ago, or uh, sorry, not the, the 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 fodder for you to make these um, these paintings, these memorial paintings, unfortunately doesn't stop. So I, I hear you on the not being able to stop. Let me just ask you some about about the you talked about the emotion of doing this. Um, and you're an art teacher as well, so you, you you'll you'll have an answer for this if I ask you just artistically. When you're doing a a painting of Nika, how much are you thinking about how to technically make this look right, and how much is this really just emotionally coming out of you, and the and and the the emotions are 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 the movement in your hand that leads to the paintings we see. I'm telling you. Uh, these paintings are the most difficult paintings in my uh, career that I did. It's not easy at all. First of all, most of them, lots of tears, they are on this painting. If someone analyzes it, there's lots of tears on it. I cannot just, like an artist, start and painting because I feel the pain. I, I f I'm thinking about their dreams on their eyes and they're uh, smiling, most mm. pictures, they they are normal um, episode of their life with the smiling dancing and at the same time um, you know that with the cruelty they get killed and for example for Nika for 10 days that she was stolen 
and no one knew that what happened to her. Uh, these are all, I just hold my breath to finish a, paint, a painting. And um, I guess this pain that is um, actually on these paintings make a connection with people because you cannot paint the pain but when people see it they can they can understand they can feel mm. it that there is pain not only paint wow that's a powerful thing to say and 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 that's that feels new to you that kind of pain yes yes i, n- I never never had that experience actually um two years ago um when na- they killed navid afkari i had the same feeling when i um paint his portrait and um, I had that feeling at that time because I was very connected uh, Mm. with everything at that time and I couldn't believe that they killed him. You said something interesting a moment ago you said I want to I felt like I need to be part of the visual element of this revolution or something like that I don't know I said I'm supporting the uh, visual part of this visual part of this movement of this revolution that's that's such an interesting thing to say because the visual part of this revolution has been really powerful. We we keep talking about how there's been this incredible fertility of this creativity that's come out of Iranians from inside Iran, whether it's uh, paintings or bull, bull billboards or the Sherbian song or whatever, and from outside of Iran too, the the posters, the flourishing of video art and all of the. Um, Tell me about the importance, in your view, of the visual element keeping this revolution and this movement going. Uh, it's super important because the the art doesn't need a translation. We want to speak out for the world. And um, you saw that the um, Sherwin's song, how they translated in different languages, mm. because it could talk to people. They don't need to. They, they just process better what is going on with art. People, when they, they see the art, they can process that event much better. And uh, I guess it's a shortcut to that event. And um, I'm very fortunate to see how much talented artists we have in, uh, among Iranian. I'm very proud at that moment that I'm Iranian. This is a, part of the reason this is personal for you. Like any Iranian, that's um, uh, we all are experiencing some level of trauma in our families over the last forty, the Revolution War, all of the things that we talk about. Uh, but also, you were, a, from what I understand, a pretty well-known artist uh, and graphic designer in Iran, uh, and you had to leave. Uh, you chose to leave, but you chose to leave because. Um, of reasons connected to this this regime. I don't know how much you want to get into that, but um, first of all, tell me about uh, before 2005 when you were in Iran, what were you known for? Uh, I was a graphic designer and um, I was a fighter with my uh, work that, um, you know, it was funny that at that period of time, if we wanted to, t- for example, advertise something that related or a shampoo, we couldn't show a hair for shampoo and we always have to find a way a different way and i always try to find a way that at the same time i'm advertising something um by the way that again uh, from a a, somebody who grew up in the west i know this it gets tekrari gets it gets you know tired me saying this but that's insane 
Yes, just, just, just that's to insane. just to put it out there. Yeah, you can, you're doing a shampoo ad and you can't show hair. Yeah, how exactly. how insane that sounds. Uh, exactly, and you always have to find a way, uh, like a surreal way, to connect two things together that um, showing to people that we are at advertising for that thing. As a graphic designer, when you had lots of limitation to work on your advertisement, it was like a humiliation that. Okay, how can I um, express my word with everything that I'm not allowed to picture it? Um, the funny things I remember, it was a product that it was uh, for um, a slim fast for making people <laughs> lose weight. Mm -hmm. Finally, I end up to create something like potatoes that is become like uh, tiny potatoes. You Because whatever I was designing- It has to be allegories, it has to be yes, metaphors. I know. Right? And because the potatoes has belly button, <laughs> they didn't give me <laughs> authorization to publish it. You know, we are laughing right yeah, now, but- that's absurd, that's absurd, that's yeah, why. Yeah. That's, so yeah, but you also created some billboards that were controversial, yes, yes, right? Yes, I, I just tell you that at the same time, I get an offer from a um, clothing company for men and they said we want advertisement and I told them that advertisement without models for clothing I'm not going to do that mm. and for the first time at that period of time um, actually I remember for, for the very first one I used the famous picture of the Da Vinci that there is someone open mm. the body but only the upper body on the billboard that he said sorry you're not allowed to show men's bodies either uh, either yes yeah what what uh, what's the qanun what's what, what, I, what does that mean you know do you find any qanun any rules <laughs> in your no I, I this is i i'm i'm always it's, there's always something new that i mean i i could guess that they wouldn't want women's yes, bodies I but remember, men's bodies as well yeah when, when i actually publish a da vinci picture only the da vinci picture mm. with the brand of that company that we knew the body standard or something like that with mm -hmm. the slogan the economist magazine magazine uh, published that billboard that's a change in iran with the mm. picture of uh, Khomeini, I remember that that the, that company was afraid to death that okay they are coming after us because right. that was huge. Right. And then I started bring models, and that was huge at the period of time. We w we should be a standby because we will receive facts um, they tr with um, just a deadline that we have to remove all the billboards, and we have to had ready another one. Um, I remember that um, once um, I had to bring the billboard down and add beard with Photoshop <laughs> on the on that right. model because we couldn't do the all the photo shoot again. Yeah. And was it this stuff that got you so fed up that you had to leave, or was there something else? That uh, it's um, I don't want to bring up that story because it's a long story, but. Um, Somehow that they were limiting me for doing that uh, from, on the other hand, they, they wanted me to just cooperate with right. some um, gov government campaign and I decided to leave the country. You would, you would, from what I understand, you tell me if it's okay if I can say this on the show, you, you, you had become quite well known and so the regime thought, well, rather than try and suppress what she does, we'll have her work for us. Yes. And you weren't comfortable with that? No. Was it difficult leaving Iran for you? 
I had visa, but uh, it was difficult. Emotionally, I mean. Uh, actually, emotionally, because it's a very fast decision. It was really hard. I had a, I built off the career, a, a graphic designer company, and I have to leave everything behind at the point of success. Mm. Because I was very successful. And you have to come and restart. And I had to come and I, I was... Simply because you wanted to just do your job in your exactly, once again. Yeah. Exactly. I, I wanted to do the job like a human, not not doing anything revol- revolutionary. Mm. Just as a human, as a graphic designer, as an artist. It was lots of limitation to do what is right to do. Mm. You know, you have to always think surreal about, okay, how we can... But I'm telling you that at that period of time, we start doing lots of catalogs for clothing, but we couldn't get um, authorization for printing. And it's like that that was an illegal, dangerous thing that they were, we were doing, hmm. taking picture of people with proper clothing for advertisement, for catalogs, for import and export for companies, but it was illegal at that time. With that as the backdrop, um, what has the last nine weeks meant to you in terms of seeing those brave people in Iran? I mean, in terms of the creation of a revolution, we have yet to see exactly how it plays out. But tell, tell me how beyond, of course, the sadness around the victims, tell me how important this has been for you to see what is happening in Iran. Actually, I really uh, surprise and wonder with the bravery of Iranian women and men. The, the pictures and videos that came out is beyond imagination that how brave they are. And I think that people that they are that brave, they have nothing to lose. And this is very sad part. Because when they are, when the girl is going to the to the roof of the police car without yeah. hijab while someone is sitting there, um, is beyond the imagination that how you can do that. And um, I understand that they are doing for their country, for they know that their life in danger and they are doing, they are paying their lives for a better future for mm. others. So I cannot get rest when I see that. The, I feel the responsibility, okay, I have to pay my part too. Do you feel like all of us in the diaspora? I mean, I sometimes feel like this is left to artists to be the ones who have a responsibility. But do do you feel um, like all of us have the responsibility? Let me put it another way: Does it bother you that there are Iranians in the diaspora who are not aren't as active or who stay silent? Actually, it bothers me, but this is something that you cannot push anyone because there is a risk and danger for anyone that is active, has has activity on that. Even in Toronto and San Francisco and um, Berlin? um, Not really, you know, to compare to the bravery of Iranian boys and the, the young people, the things that we are doing is nothing. Is nothing actually. Um, is not is not anything to compare. Is mm. not anything to compare with the people in Kurdistan. Mm. Just uh, sometimes, even I think this is very sentimental that I'm doing painting. Is mm. not sentimental, but to compare that someone is paying their blood for for that. But um, but I, I guess I mean I'm I don't want to go into a rabbit hole on this, but it's something that we we talk about in our team, and I'm constantly trying to figure out my own position on, which is that 
on the one hand, it's like, okay, people are going to do what they, they do. Who am I to say this is how you should be living your life? On the other hand, if you see someone who was your friend or is your friend on social media or something like that who's Iranian and is posting nothing about this and is rather just putting up pictures of you know, their new uh, dress or going to a party. Absolutely bothers me. Absolutely yeah. bothers me. But, but I'm just practicing democracy that, okay, this is her or his choice, but I cannot tell that I want to continue my relationship as this, as before with mm. that person because um, lack of courage and lack of humanity in that moment can define that personality for me, that how, how you become silent. Um, if someone is uh, silent because it is not brave enough or is not confident enough to express mm-hmm. herself or himself is another thing. But um, just acting that nothing is happening, this is not forgivable for myself. Mm-hmm. What about non-Iranians? You're here in Canada. I know that you've expressed some disappointment that the the, the world hasn't been uh, ha- hasn't woken up as fast to. Uh, the atrocities being committed uh, in in Iran as they do for some other causes. Do you want to speak to that? Yes, absolutely. Actually, I talked to lots of my uh, neighbors and non-Canadian friends. Some of them, they are very into this news and some of them absolutely not. But I noticed that something can uh, bring their attention to what is happening. If you make an example for them that remember two years ago for uh, death of George Floyd, Mm The whole world um, had a revolution to changing laws for one person get killed by the cruelty of police. But right now, in these six, seven weeks, more than 400 people get killed with mm. the cruelty in Iran. That 61 children under age, mm. there were among them. Okay, are we living in different planets? I should say that that one person uh, who got killed, George Floyd, represented tens of thousands of others who are have been or, you know through through many many years of of um, um, suppression and uh, detention and killing of, of black men and, and women and so it wasn't only about George Floyd but I understand your point no I know that the but, world but was galvanized people, but these people they are represent 80 million people in Iran mm-hmm. that they are in um, the hostage for Absolutely. 43 years yeah. this is um, I, I don't see a huge difference between that, the humanity. Everyone said, we, I'm not political. This is not, this is not yeah. politic. This is human rights. Yeah. This is not politic. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, and as I said in my opening essay, I, I, if, if Amazon and Apple and Google can get behind Black Lives Matter, why can't they get behind human rights exactly. for, for Iran right? exactly. and for Iranians? Um, that's, I, I agree. I, uh, there is a double standard that we see every every day, and um, it continues even on the front pages of the paper today. Um, t- tell me, you've started what seems like a bit of a campaign uh, of sharing your art to be used at demonstrations or, or around the world. Some of it is even some helpful kind of slogans and thoughts. Uh, tell me about that initiative and how people can get involved with that. Uh, as soon as I noticed that uh, people, they are interested to sh- uh, use my artwork for demonstration because I had to email them. I asked them, send me your email and I, it was impossible to handle 
that much email. I create a Telegram account. I downloaded whatever poster, picture, painting, whatever that I was creating there with the high quality for print, even for billboard. And I just share that, that address to people that, okay, you can use. And this copyright is belong to all Iranian people. It's very generous in the sense that you don't seem to be requiring any attribution, any Nothing. people don't have to say it's, I mean. Nothing, uh, I just ask them that please don't use a commercial um, job with that. And even s some of them that they are, uh, wor they are printing them on t-shirts and hoodies and stuff, they sent me the, the cost and everything that mm -hmm. showed me that they are not gaining money from that, even if they do free shipping. And this teamwork, this uh, passionate teamwork among Iranian is really, really surprising me. And because we always heard that there was a myth that Iranian are not good for teamwork. Yeah. The reason that they are not good at, for example, soccer, but they are good at um, I mean, individual. You're, you're, you don't think that's, there's any they truth said, to that? No, no, I just see that the beautiful, teamwork with the people that they have no idea who I'm talking about, who I'm chatting with, mm. just trusting and just hand to hand working for a big goal. And this this is beautiful for me. You're right. The last couple of months have, um, uh, as we've, we've said before, we don't just owe those brave young people in Iran who've started this revolution um, a thank you for trying to topple this regime, but also a thank you for creating a new a rebirth of Iranian pride uh, and and of, of dialogue and the way we're dealing with each other. You're right, that, that, that type of collective action is something that I haven't seen a lot of before in terms of our Iranian community, a, a global Iranian community, and it's so heartening to see it now. Do you have any sense of... Um, um, so it's a, it's a weird one. I'm, I'm so appreciative of, of what you do. And, and I also think, how can you sustain this if you're not... Uh, sleeping, you're twenty four seven working on this. It's uh, you have to put your job aside. I mean, do you have a plan for the next for the coming weeks and months, or do you just plan to keep doing this as long as you 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 have to? We we don't have time to pre-plan anything at that time. I I two months ago I had no idea that where I'm standing two months later. Um, everyone know that every, all of us are busy. We have difficult life. We have uh, to handle everything, but we have to sacrifice. In this moment, we have to sac sacrifice and pay our part for this moment. I hope that that end up and um, just this is something that I have a list of victims that my plan is to painting all mm. of them and um, document them. And I hope that it doesn't continue. This is this is my biggest wish. Mm. Uh, Nagmajan, just because this stuff has gone viral and global, have you? Just I'm curious. Have you heard from any of the families of the? As, do you know that all they've, the they've, time? They actually, they, yes, yeah. But so, they've seen your work. Yes, yeah, yeah. They connect me. Nika's aunt connected me, and um, lo lo lots of victims because um, they receive and. Actually, the moment that I saw Gohar Eshqi, the moms of Satara mm -hmm. Beheshti, um, talking to people, and my painting was on her side in that little town of Tehran, that I break to tears because I didn't know actually how that artwork ended up to her house. And that was for me huge, huge when I saw that picture just 
by her side on the frame. What what has been the hardest part in the last couple of months for you? I cannot name one part because we got emotional. But to be honest, um, it's like that I lost lots of brother and sister. I was mourning for each of them. And um, especially when you're painting, you have to focus so much on there to be look like. And you have to look at even the shine on their eyes mm. to be look like. And that's really difficult and painful. And um, but to be honest, the most painful part is people sending picture of their victims to my Instagram account and said uh, they don't let us um, to announce that they are getting killed, but please paint them. This is the hardest part that I'm facing with pictures that they don't even tell me to, to name name them because they are afraid to for other there are other family member or something i said please paint them how do you respond to that i just save the picture to do it later because i don't have time you know i'm working all full time on that i just promised them that i will my hope is that i paint the picture of the victory of Iranian people very soon. Thank you for the work you do, and thank you for taking the time to do this today. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me, Jan. This is Rook, episode 218, The Uprising. Hey, Amazon, Apple, and Google, you care about human rights, don't you? I'm Gian Gomeshi. I want to go now to Tehran and a documentarian who's also been a comedian and spent some time outside of Iran. He is currently in Tehran, and he's been one of our voices inside the country at the demonstrations and protests, giving us an inside view of the events on the ground. We're going to come back to him as often as we can to get his frontline perspective. Right now, Sammy joins us from Tehran. Sammy, are you there? Yes. Hi, Gian. Hi, Sammy. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. No worries, brother. It's always a pleasure. So, so uh, I mean, first of all, I guess, how are you? We're, we're seeing an in, an increasing bloody crackdown by by this regime. What what has the atmosphere been like in Tehran in recent days? Well, and do you know what it's like to be in an abandoned castle? That's what it feels like being in Tehran at the moment. You know, it feels like everybody's left their posts, and uh, not that it's safe, but it's just it's. It feels lawless you know what i mean it feels like um there are no authorities and and uh, the passage forces are doing whatever the hell they want uh sorry so uh, they're they're the, the basti forces are on the streets or they're not on the streets they are on the streets because uh but but the thing is that these are not uh, the trained ones these are not the experienced ones um, most of the uh, Sepai forces and, and those of the Basiji forces who are trained, uh, they have left uh, the capital. 
they went to uh, Kurdistan region and they are doing some some atrocities there which I think you can all see in the in the news and in the media yes yeah so so when you're so what what you're saying is you don't see organized police and um, military and stuff on the streets in Tehran, but at the same time, there's a kind of chaotic, dangerous feel of these Basij guys who've just been let loose to do what, what they, whatever they have to do to quell any protest, huh? Yes, um, I mean, what you have to fear with the Basij forces and Sepai forces is that um, we were having a discussion about this a couple of days ago with with some of my friends that if you are dealing with the police, there are rules of engagement, right? But with the with the Basiji, they are not held accountable, and they don't really have um, a standard rules of engagement that the police has. So the atmosphere in Tehran is that you rather deal with the police than with the Basiji. Uh, is it clear uh, in Tehran? I mean, it's obviously we see things happening all over the country and, and uh, people getting arrested. Uh, and and we're, we're about to talk to um, one of our friends who's in Istanbul and her brother, a well-known poet, has just been arrested in Tehran. So obviously mm-hmm. there's ongoing activity of the crackdown of the regime. But what does it feel like right now in Tehran? Does it sort of feel like uh, some level of business as usual or is it clear the revolution is going on it's uh, it definitely feels like the the revolution is going on but um but there's a certain type of um it's not business as usual but it's not like uh, you know everything is back in normal or or the revolution have stopped so we can get back to our works or whatever it's like a it's like a misty foggy vague situation in in tehran at the moment it's like uh, as i as i explained it's like an abandoned castle you know oh. you don't know whether to get back to work or or continue with the with the protests and with the revolution and and everything that you were doing prior to um every day you know what i mean um and it's very unsettling because it's just it it feels like you're in the dark yeah is it fair to say i mean the protests are not happening on the streets every day in tehran the way they were certainly two months ago um is that a result of the crackdown or is that tactical somehow it feels like it's tactical to be honest with you because um as uh, you know, and as I have witnessed, uh, the, most of the majority of the police energy goes towards um, you know, people not um, gathering around. You know what I mean? If if you're like, there's more more than ten people, people will like uh, the police will break it up um, immediately. But you still see uh, different forms of protest. Like as I was uh, talking to Shayan earlier, um, I was telling him that I saw so many flyers today. I was handed uh, a couple of flyers myself, and I saw so many flyers on the uh, on the floor everywhere, in the subway, in the streets, and also, uh, you know that thing that Iranians do with the fist bump and the you know and the candy inside yes, it, yes, uh, the, the, that is a trend. Um, I was I was in the street a couple of days ago with my girlfriend, and some dude came up to my girlfriend and, and you know asked for a fist bump and gave her a piece of a piece of a sweet or, or a candy or something. And it was within it. There was a little note 
get read um your your hair is beautiful because my girlfriend doesn't do hijab mm-hmm. she hasn't done it in like two months and all that mm. and what did these flyers say that you said that were handed out oh these flyers were like a call to action you know what i mean like they were like yeah on this day we will gather around on the other day we will gather around we are going on strikes on let's say 26th of, of uh Ozar or something like that and they were just these flyers are everywhere okay so there's that that, that kind of organization we i mean we've we've heard people chanting we've seen videos of people chanting slogans in support of those in kurdistan and and mahabad where these uh, as you said earlier atrocities have been taking place uh, quite heartbreakingly this past week how how widespread is that sense of unity from your from your perspective i mean are when you're in tehran i mean do, do you feel like people are aware of what's happening in other parts of the country and and standing by those folks i mean they're obviously bahman robadi was saying this isn't you know we're not going to win this unless everybody's out in the streets all over the country you know uh, supporting people in kurdistan otherwise the regime is just going to go from one place to another cracking down and quelling things and and dividing and conquering what is your sense of that in inside tehran in, in Kurdistan, the uh, overall sense that the regime media has and, and it's giving, you know, spreading this type of propaganda to people is that uh, these people are, um, you know, they're, they're communists and they want their own piece of land and they want to, you know, they want to have a, have their own um, independence and all that. And if we give them um, any more opportunities, people uh, i mean these these communist groups are going to take take away um the unity of iran but what you hear from people um people of kurdistan which by the way are some of the sweetest people you will ever meet in your life um these people are not trying to you know create their own country what they keep saying unanimously is that we are part of Iran. We don't want, I mean, we are Iran and Iran is us, right? And what media is telling you is is just a bunch of lies and that's not what we are after. We just, the reason that Kurdistan is is, um, taken to the streets is because uh, you have to understand that these people are better organized than a city like Tehran. You know what I mean? Like like in Kurdistan, everybody's a relative of somebody in the city, in any city that you see. So if you're like, if you're trying to organize your family members and everybody you know, it would be, uh, you know, much less of a hassle. Uh, but in Tehran, you don't know your next door neighbor. So it would be a bit tougher in Tehran to organize protests. But when the time comes, I'm sure that the people in Tehran will show the same bravery that the people of Kurdistan are showing at the moment. Let Let me ask you about, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about what, what a lot of people are, are talking about. We try not to focus on it too much because we don't want it to be a distraction. But the World Cup is on. Um, yeah. What are, I mean, certainly in the diaspora, there's been a, a lack of enthusiasm or appetite for Team Meli uh, um, uh, so far um, in the absence of any major demonstration on the part of these players other than not singing the anthem or whatever. What, what, what are you hearing from the streets about the World Cup and Team Meli? 
Well, um, to be honest with you, nobody gives a shit. And if anything, the team Melli has become a, a laughing stock for Iranian people. The more you hear about it, the, the funnier it gets, by the way. Um, it's like, really? You, you lost by six points? Seriously? That's all your training? How the fuck did you get to the, to the World Cup? That's what, that's what people are saying. And, but in, mostly people are just really not in the mood for World Cup. You know what I mean? And this is it's a strange one for me because these are the people who were glued to their TV when the World Cup would come around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Iranians are, are really pro-football and they love it. And for these people to just, just not care about it anymore, that's, that's, that's something. You know what I mean? Do you think that there's anything that Team Meli can do at this point that would that would ch change that? I mean, if 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 tomorrow when they're playing Wales, they I don't know score a goal and make the gesture of cutting hair or something, would that would that make a difference, or is that ship kind of sailed at this point? I think I think it's not too late. I think they can redeem themselves at any given point with the, even with a simple statement. Um, even with the, you know, even even if they do, yeah, exactly as you said, with the with the cutting hair or something that I suggested to um, on Twitter as uh, was something that Colin Kaepernick did, right, to kneel during the anthem. Right. You know, there is like a, a sort of a an athletic um, form of protest that Colin Kaepernick um, kind of started a trend of. And and if Team Ellie does that, and afterwards they come out with a statement and be like, "Yeah, we did this for the poor people of Kurdistan. We did this for the for the poor people of Iran." And and I I we would love uh, for equality and and justice to be restored in our country. Of course, of course, people will turn to them in a heartbeat. Sammy, I, I thank you uh, as ever, and um, hopefully we'll get to talk to you in the, in the next uh, week or so again and get a, an update from inside Tehran. Be safe and take care of yourself. Thank you, Gian. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. is Rook, episode 218, The Uprising. For all things Rook-related, including other programs uh, as part of this series of The Uprising, go to our website, rookmedia.com, rook, 
media.com that has all things Rook related, including how you can support us. We're really, really grateful to those folks out there who are patrons. Uh, that is, um, you can donate uh, $5, $10, or whatever is comfortable for, uh, for you per month to help us keep doing the work we do. It is a not-for-profit. Uh, rookmedia.com is where you can support. Let's go to Washington, D.C. Nikohang Kosar is a distinguished Iranian-Canadian cartoonist, journalist, and blogger. Nick is known by many Iranians for uh, his ongoing regular presence on uh, a lot of media outlets, including Iran International, BBC Persian, Radio Faradah. He also runs a website called abanganiran.org, which covers Iran's desperate water crisis. It's good to have him back on right now. Nikohang Kosar joins me from Washington, D.C. Hello, sir. Hi, Jian. It's always good to have you back on this program, even in these desperate times. I appreciate it. Thanks for this, Nick. Good to be here. Let me start with, uh, it's interesting, you've been talking about the infamous chain murders of 1998, which took place with this brutal Islamic Republic. This was when intellectuals and writers and journalists were, were killed by the regime. Why is that top of mind for you right now during this revolution? It was uh, mostly in November 98. Uh, I was a uh, cartoonists and uh, journalists working for one of the papers and we were getting all this uh, scary news that uh, hundred and something writers and intellectuals political activists were on that list so-called list and uh, a group of uh, Islamist murders are uh, what they said those days were taking care of them that means killing them and uh, everybody had a uh, somebody in mind who was caring for. I was scared for a number of uh, writers I knew were my friends and others as well in the media. So um, a few days ago, I I remembered those scary days, and uh, I had a very bad feeling. Uh, I remembered all the pain that. Uh, families of those victims had those days and I and today um, many Iranians are ex experiencing a similar pain uh, they're being murdered by elements of the regime and those days we under we learned that uh, elements of the regime had been uh, in charge of those uh, horrific crimes yeah. so um, we had chain murders we don't know who were the elements at, at that time. Now we know that Khamenei and his uh, gang are uh, murdering people on the streets. Yeah, whether it is the mass executions of 88 or the chain murders of, of 98, uh, it, it all does feel um, terrifyingly familiar uh, in, in terms of what's been happening in, in recent weeks. And certainly the very sad and the the heartbreaking and infuri infuriating news coming out of Kurdistan and Mahabad over the last few days. Tell me how you've been processing the events that have been taking place in Kurdistan, which um, I described on Monday as it this this really is a war now. This is moving tanks in, except it's not. It's happening within the borders of a country where um, a regime is a regime is uh, uh, turning its military uh, on its own on the people of the country look in 1981 uh, Ayatollah Khomeini and his regime were able to suppress 
um, any unrest, any protests, because there was a war with Iraq. And it seems that um, this this time Ayatollah Khamenei and his um, gang want to create a war and then use that as a um, tool to suppress the movement, suppress the revolution. And uh, this is something that members of IRGC believe that if there's a war, uh, anything against people who are on the streets and are weakening the regime is legit. So by that means, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei is trying to actually um, attack people who live in marginal uh, provinces who are not um, from, let's say, his tribe Mm -hmm. in a way. Uh, And this has always been happening. Uh, In the last 40-something years, many people living in uh, border provinces from uh, marginal um, tribes, from different uh, ethnic groups, have always felt uh, this uh, injustice. And many of, uh, let's say in 1979 and 1980, the regime killed many in Kurdistan, in uh, Kermanshah, or in parts of uh, southern part of um, the western Azerbaijan province. All these people, all these uh, provinces, uh, have many from the uh, Kurdish ethnic group. And um, during those years, they tried to scare many Iranians from the Kurds. Mm. And this uh, actually created a division between different parts of the um, community uh, and the nation. So. This is a way that I think people with that mindset are now in charge and are trying to uh, create an enemy for many people who still believe in the regime, who still believe that we have to stick to the Islamic Republic, But But it's it's hard to... I mean, it's hard to believe it's going to work this time. First of all, it, no. it it's an it's an old trick to create a an enemy or or um, amp up the enemy, especially when they're outside of the borders. So whether it's Iraq or whether it's Israel or whether it's the United States, we have this enemy. Come on, we have to unite. We have to. You're absolutely right. That's what uh, Khomeini and the regime did throughout the early '80s to galvanize and crystallize their own um, um, co-opting of power. Uh, but can they really make the people of Kurdistan the the enemy now? Is that really going to sell in the rest of Iran when people are keenly aware of what's going on? I, I say that on the one hand. On the other hand, we just spoke to somebody inside Tehran, uh, one of our young guys who has been telling us what's going on there regularly on the program, and he said, the state media is so relentless inside Iran saying, you know, these people in Kurdistan are, are terrorists or separatists or whatever they are, that um, he fears that is having that may have some effect on the way the population sees these things. What What, what is your sense of it? Uh, one thing is that people from uh, southwestern Iran to north southeastern Iran in Sisan and Balochistan, up to northwestern Iran in Kurdistan, in western Azerbaijan, in Kermanshah, 
are all saying from Kurdistan to Zahedan, we'll, we give our lives for Iran. So this time, millions of people are actually uh, talking of unity. And the other thing is Mahsa Amini was from Saqqez, from mm -hmm. Kurdistan. So I think there were people in IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards, who tried to use, uh, let's say, her birthplace as a new tactic to create division among non-Kurdish Iranians and Kurdish Iranians. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing is, yes, there are people who are scared, who are uh, from older generations, my age, older, who uh, want to actually avoid uh, entering any conflicts. But the thing is, we are the parents of the younger generations, and, the, and we have actually um, not me personally, but people like me in Iran, we have empowered the regime with our votes yeah. for the years. Yeah. And now we, many of the people I know, um, my old, own classmates in Iran whom I'm in touch with are saying we feel responsible for what we created, for what we empowered. And because of that, some people over 40 are uh, supporting the younger generations and are joining the protests. So yes, there are people who are scared of anything and just want to sit in their own safe corners and watch um, the World Cup these days. But there are also other people who say that, no, this is the only chance we have to make things right after wronging our own children. Let me get to the World Cup, but on this note of this is the only chance, we had um, Bahman Gowadi on the on the program on Monday, who of course is not just a uh, a famous filmmaker. He's a he's a Kurd, and he's been very outspoken in uh, about the plight of Kurdish Iranians, and he's very outspoken right now. And it was actually kind of heartbreaking talking to him because one of the things he said was, "I asked him, are you do you have hope?" And he said, "I had a lot more hope until the last few days in reference to the crackdown in in Mahabad and in in Kurdistan." And he said, you know, it's just not enough for people to be chanting from the windows in Tehran. That's that's very nice that they're saying, you know, we stand with the people of Kurdistan and it's all Iran. Um, but that this is a moment when really people need to get in the, out in the streets everywhere across the country because the plan of the regime seems to be to hive off different parts of the of the, of, of the country and, you know, they go militarily uh, suppress Kurdistan and next it'll be Baluchistan and next it'll be and next it'll be and next it'll be and the cumulative effect of that will be to crush this this revolution um what how, how do you react to 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 i mean i'm i'm I, those, those weren't his exact words i'm paraphrasing them but how do you how do you react to batman's words no i i understand what he says i totally uh in a way sympathize with him but look i'm not on the street I'm not in Iran, and I cannot uh, ask anyone to go and risk his or her life on my behalf. So it's very difficult for me. I'm in a very difficult position to ask people to go on the streets, and I'm here safe in Washington, D.C., uh, sitting behind my desk and talking to you. But I know that if people in Iran uh, continue this path, First, they help delegitimize the system, and many people who believe in the system are going to uh, ask more and more questions 
on what's happening because they see that their neighbors, their friends, their uh, loved ones are being killed and they know those people. And there will be this major question, oh, I believed in Ayatollah Khamenei, but he is responsible for the death of my cousin. Right. He is responsible for the death of my sister. They did, they did nothing wrong. So what, uh, what was uh, the leader thinking of? So it's it's a very difficult path. Morally and ethically, it's very difficult to actually advise anyone what to do from this point when sure. we're out of the country. But I just have to say my hats are my hat is off for all those people who are risking their lives. I know that if I um, would have been in Iran first, I would have been arrested the first few days because they know who to arrest too. But if they had not arrested me, I would have been beaten up mm. for sure. But I know many people, brave people who went to the streets and uh, were shot with pellet guns and are still going back to the streets yeah. to support yeah. their children. There's been word um, recently in the, just in the last few days of the IRGC, uh, the regime targeting people outside of the borders of Iran who have been outspoken. Does something like that concern you and your your own personal safety because you're so um, outspoken and, and so, such a regular um, uh, face on on a lot of the the Persian media that is uh, Iranian media that is against the regime. It's not nothing. Uh, it's not new uh, to me actually. Uh, when I was in Canada in two thousand three, I received my my first threat. Then in two thousand and five, the second one, and two thousand nine, the third one, and a couple of more threats in two thousand and twelve and thirteen. But um, let me tell you. Uh, these threats are have two sides. One, they want to scare you off so you would just go silent. And second thing is uh, there are elements of the regime in Canada, in North America, and uh, both um, the US administration and the Canadian government know that there are people close to IRGC, there are people close to the Ministry of Intelligence who are living here, family members, uh, partners, and I know that uh, many of them have been under the um, magnifying glass of agencies in North America, but the fact is we don't know who they are working with, mm. who are their partners, and that makes the uh, that makes some um, things very scary for people who have no connections. They have been left alone. They have been marginalized. They have been. Um, they have no political connections. Uh, they have no friends, if you will. There, there are some activists who are uh, uh, going to uh, face a harder situation after these um, threats uh, become more serious. And yeah. when we see that. Uh, journalists in uh, the UK, Iranian British journalists in UK are uh, supposedly targets of the Islamic regime. So that that would be a major question. Who has been funding these people all these years? They should there should be cells in Canada, there should be cells in the UK, there should be cells in other countries. But the fact is, we have to find out 
who has been supporting them or as the great deep throat uh, used to say follow the money mm. sorry who's been funding which people in the case of the british iranian journalists look uh, in 2009 uh, when i was in london with a group of journalists an individual came to uh, rob my laptop and i followed him to the street and uh, sorry to say i beat him up a little bit on the sidewalk and got my laptop back and uh, when policemen from uh, uh, I, I guess Scotland Yard came to BBC headquarters to interview me uh, they just sent me a letter that we cannot give you more information about it so somebody told me that it I needed to have a, a, a higher a high clearance level to get mm. more information mm. apparently the, uh, that individual could have been connected to uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran because I had a lot of uh, information on my laptop those days. I was supporting um, many refugees who had uh, left Iran for Iraq, Turkey and other countries. So mm -hmm. that could have been a, a dangerous for those people if my the information had been exposed. But uh, what I know is that uh, the Islamic Republic uh, has supported different groups uh, Lebanese uh, Islamists in the UK and other countries and it has many arms it has many tentacles so it's to the uh, uh, intelligence community to actually follow those uh, routes all right well I think you I mean as you correctly said uh, and I of course agree with you we can't um, dictate or or ask the people inside Iran to do uh, anything other than what they feel comfortable with and I would say that's a that goes from whether you're going to go out on the streets uh, to self-determination in terms of what government they want etc uh, but we can be responsible for the predictable outcomes of our own government actions uh, for, for those of us who are in the West um, so let me ask you about what's going on outside of Iran how did you feel about this meeting today of the UN Human Rights Council establishing an international fact-finding mechanism regarding the crimes of the Iranian regime this is being celebrated in some corners um, at the same time there's of course a, a, a lot of cynicism about how how long it's taken to get to this point and whether this will actually mean anything how do you feel I think it uh, from now on it becomes a moral obligation for many um, European uh, nations on how they deal with the Islamic Republic of Iran when they want to sign contracts when they want to support anything that goes to uh, the Islamic regime people will question them and when uh, some countries want to say that oh we just have uh, a nice and clear business with the Islamic Republic we're just supporting the people of Iran but then uh, their actions are questionable and some corporations are actually in a way um, going to benefit from contracts between let's say your countries in the European Union and the Islamic Republic then people can ask, oh, so you're signing a contract with the regime before the uh, inquiries get to a valuable answer? Mm. Or So this would be, I think, important for many people who have been asking the Euro European Union to take a stand, take a, um, to take more responsibility on its connections to the Islamic Republic and other uh, regimes that have been suppressing their own people. So yes in a way it's a reason for uh, celebrating what happened today 
but uh, we have to see what happens next. I, I read that uh, there's going to be a budget for, I think, one lead investigator and 18 other investigators who are going to work on this. We don't know if it would pass in the next, in the third committee meeting at the UN. And hopefully there would be a lot of um, documents coming out of Iran that could help these investigators understand what has been happening on the ground. and. We are living in the uh, time of social media. There are videos, non-fake videos of what have happened on the streets mm -hmm. in different parts of the country. You can see the um, the uh, bullets. You can see how um, agents of the regime are beating up people and even shooting of people. Course, so yeah. it, 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 we're in a different situation. And uh, some people have even located the areas that those uh, beatings have been happening and with the recent cnn report on raping iranian um prisoners political prisoners by agents of the regime i think we're in a different situation today yeah, rather than yeah. what happened in 1988 and many countries many nations were silent about the mass executions or other things that have happened through the years there's certainly some people who've uh, as we said in our roundtable who've worked really hard on um, getting the UN to this point. Uh, and so kudos to them for, for pushing this uh, along. Let's hope it has some some effect. I, I want to ask you about Canada, not just to be Canadian-centric, that we should hold the governments around the world to account, but uh, but because you've been outspoken about um, uh, the actions of the Canadian government, and, and you do so as an Iranian-Canadian as well, who spent a lot of time here. Um, the IRGC is still not fully on the terrorist list in Canada, uh, and yet there's been a lot of bravado from the Canadian government or um, statements about uh, support. And of course, the Prime Minister walked with Hamid Ismailoun and, and now famously in Ottawa at a demonstration, etc. Where, where do you, where do you, where's your latest? Where, where do you believe the Canadian government is on, on uh, the actions it should be taking, taking with regards to the IRGC? Uh, yesterday, uh, one of my, let's say, Twitter friends sent me a link to a document that uh, it's from 2010, uh, the Harper government, when special economic measures were actually imposed against Iran. And on line 136, you see the name of IRGC. So it means that IRGC has been sanctioned for around uh, 12 years. But the question is, through these 12 years, how many people, how many members of IRGC have actually moved to Canada? How many of them have mm. been investing in Canada? How have their partners been actually uh, moving to Canada when we know that many companies that are owned by R IRGC uh, have their uh, employees actually uh, migrating to Canada through different types of immigration? So that's a big question. And I, I believe that um, Many people in Canada have to ask the conservatives, the liberals, about the, the whole process. What should have been done through these years and uh, what should be done now? And I think, um, first of all, until IRGC is uh, considered fully a terrorist organization, we will also see many people connected to the IRGC living freely in Canada and doing other businesses. 
I don't uh, understand the um, excuses that are being made that, oh, because so many people uh, were forced to go to uh, the military service of IRGC. So any, anybody that goes to a military, that takes a military service for two years could be excluded from that. Yeah, they uh, carve that out. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's, it's not that difficult to actually pass a law to uh, consider this organization as a as a terrorist organization. We know it's killing people in Javan. It's killing its own people. It's terrorizing the region, yeah. uh, the Middle East. Uh, even it's you see its tentacles in South America, in Africa. So I believe that we have to uh, ask the government to actually uh, take a more powerful stand over here and it's good that they have actually said that we don't, uh, we won't let ten thousand people, uh, ten thousand people connected to IRGC to come. But look, many of these are old commanders over sixty or seventy years old. What does that guy want to do with Canada? An old general, where is he going? What what does he want to go to Tim Hortons and have a double double <laughs> and uh, and enjoy uh, pizza pizza? No. But let's be serious. The whole system in Iran is somehow connected to IRGC. Mm. The whole econ econ uh, business system, the whole trade system in Iran is connected to IRGC. So we have many people in a way connected to IRGC in Canada, and we have to take a closer look at them. It's interesting, you know, uh, and not to take anything away from the people who are lobbying the Canadian government or even some folks in the Canadian government who I know um, their heart it might be in the right place on this but uh, sometimes the, the the delta between the optics and what is actually uh, being taking place is interesting I was in the states very very briefly last week and somebody was talking about what you know wanting more action from the Biden administration for example and and was saying I mean it's not like Canada where you guys are way ahead in terms of the all the action that the Canadian government has been taking and I was thinking well, really? I mean, actually, uh, in contradistinction to the United States, I'm not sure that the, you could actually make the argument that the Canadian policies have been stronger. But the, but the veneer of it, based on what the statements and the, and the prime minister, et cetera, um, is interesting, isn't it? It is. Uh, look, um, I think the PR of the Canadian government is doing a great job uh, representing whatever the... Trudeau government is doing. But the on the other side, there are many people like me who actually don't believe whatever they read and what they see. So we have to examine everything carefully. Uh, it's It could be based on experience, it could be based on uh, our political standing, but what I'm seeing here is that uh, some people are trying to do something that would satisfy many Iranian Canadians and many Canadians in in total because Canada is a democratic country and most Canadians hate to see anybody being uh, suppressed right. and oppressed by a dictatorship. But Iranian Canadians feel a little bit, feel that pain more, more than others. That's what I feel. But uh, I think we should fight harder for um seeing certain measures being taken in Canada. It's great that um, Ali Ehsasi, Hamid Ismail and others are uh, taking this to Parliament Hill, 
but it's not enough to my knowledge and understanding on how uh, I see things in Canada and I've seen things in Canada through the years it's not enough let me ask you before I let you go a final question uh, and I, I, I'm leaving it to last because I, I've been trying to stay committed to the idea of not letting um, our focus on what's going on in Iran and, and this um, this uprising be derailed by um, the World Cup as much of a football fan as I am um, but it's it's not irrelevant uh, the eyes of the world are on what's going on and um, so I'm curious to get your feeling about um, Team Meli and and the World Cup, are you, which camp are you in in terms of uh, whether you think we should be uh, high-fiving these guys for not singing during the anthem or, um, as I've expressed, a disappointment that, um, you know, there's just been general silence, which you see contrasted to um, uh, a player today that was a former national player who wasn't invited to the team who's been arrested in Iran because he has been outspoken. So uh, that's door B that uh, that could be the option for some of these players. Where have you been on this? Um, I was very sad when I read that uh, the regime had arrested him and he has been, an, as you said, an outspoken uh, individual who has criticized the regime many times. And... Um, though he's from the team that I didn't support, Estelal, because I'm from, I'm, I, I've always supported Persepolis or the team that wears red. And he's no, he's no longer with Estelal, but, uh, but... No, 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 uh, he's no longer with yeah. Estelal. But uh, the fact is, I always liked the guy. And he was, Voryak um, Afuri, his name, uh, was has always been a decent human being. And supporting um the marginalized people anytime he, he had has he, he has had the chance to uh, reach out to uh people through the media he I, I guess a few years ago he said that he doesn't want to talk to the national regime tv uh, stations and and inter and uh, reporters because he didn't believe in what they were representing right. and um, the new head of the the new general manager of Estelal got rid of him and sold him to another team uh, because the new general manager is a former, uh, I think, general of uh, IRGC and the police and Iran's police. So they didn't want to have him on board because he was the captain of Estelal through those years. And it's very sad to see while people are enjoying watching the uh world cup matches a soccer player or football i, I always forget in canada do, do we say football or soccer doesn't matter at this point it's okay yeah so sure yeah a football player is um being arrested and I, I and there's another also a football player he was a former goalkeeper of the iranian national team uh um, mr buruman he was arrested and, and apparently beaten up by uh the regime security forces. So I think it's really sad to see those players that are in Qatar are silent about these players who have been beaten up. And interestingly, in Doha, people were chanting Ali Karimi yeah. the second half of the game. Yeah. And the reason that they didn't say, they didn't call Ali Karimi's name, who's a very famous soccer player and he's a critic of the Islamic regime, is there's another Ali Karimi yeah. that was brought in the first half 
just so people wouldn't chant Ali Carey. Yeah. Or if they did chant, it would be the, the, the idea would be for the guy who's on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So I think many people in Iran right now consider this soccer team, this football team, not the national team or team elite, but the regime's team. And what about you? And, what's, what's your feeling? Uh, I consider it the regime's team right now. Hmm. And would anything, so you weren't, you were happy that they got um, destroyed by England on. Uh, on I was really happy. And uh, I'm, I, I'm very sad that uh, Behran Van, the goalkeeper, uh, had that incident. And I, I, I bet a concussion is um, possible. Mm. But many people called it, uh, wrote, karma sucks. I, I was very sad that this happened to him. But it's interesting that four years ago when he was um, going to catch Ronaldo's penalty mm -hmm. kick and he succeeded. People were praying for him. But this time, people were actually hoping for the worst for him. So yeah. that's the difference of when you're a member of a national team or a member of the regime's team. Yeah, I mean, there's a, first of all, just as a complete sidebar, um, but just as a football fan and knowing that you're a football fan, then I could, I could um, just you know, use a, a minute to talk about this. One thing that really disturbed me about that incident is um, I believe football needs to get out of the, the this um, this pattern of allowing the team doctors or whoever the people are who assess these kind of injuries to be the with a vested interest to be the ones to decide whether he gets to play or not. Um, because it, like it should be some kind of independent, because it was clear he was, I mean, his nose was like completely mangled. Uh, and yet I'm assuming they told him to keep playing um, or he said, I'm going to keep playing, but it, it would say, which of course then he couldn't after a few minutes, but uh, just from a complete football point of view, it's, it's like the, that's that's scary stuff like let some there needs to be some kind of independent doctor or or um, staff at that point to make the call on it because you'll have a team like I mean it was clearly team Melly would have wanted this goaltender who happens to be a, yeah. the best one they have to continue uh, and so you kind of wonder about that decision and as a car as a former caricature artist I can say that his nose grew a little bit bigger in just a few seconds. So if anybody's nose grows bigger on a game, he should be pulled out as right, well, right. because you could see how it was swollen. And uh, do, do you do you still feel like um, if if tomorrow or next week or something that the team does something, will you uh, and you know, somebody scores a goal and then makes the gesture to cutting their hair or something like that, that you would you would that change things for you? I'm not sure. I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure. I have to I don't want to be dogmatic and say no, not no way, but I have to see the circumstances. Yeah. so. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been a, a moving target. I I do feel like if the if the meeting with Raisi and the bowing and then the photos that emerged after that of the you know these happy guys looking forward to um, you know their their privileged opportunity at the World Cup juxtaposed against kids dying in Zahedan and Sanandaj. Yeah. I, I thought if those things hadn't happened, then not singing the anthem could have meant something. But um, you know, it didn't. Uh, it didn't feel that way. Like while uh, they were singing, that while they were silent during the anthem, if somebody had shown the photo of Mahsa Amini or something like that, that would have meant that oh, 
they're doing something really powerful. But I know I understand that they are scared of the yeah. even uh, security elements that are on the ground in Doha. And uh, we have always been told through the years that uh, when you travel to the uh, southern states on the uh, what's the name, the Persian Gulf states, you have to have an extra eye because there are elements of the regime there. And mm. we know that people close to the Ministry of Intelligence and also IRGCR with the team, as always. Of course. So yeah. it won't be that easy for them. I understand it. Nick, thanks for this. Take care of yourself, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. My pleasure. My pleasure. Bye-bye, sir. Take care. So 218, The Uprising. My next guest is an actor and an activist who moved to Istanbul in the last year from Iran. She was on our show recently, about three or four weeks ago. Shailene Asadolahi studied architecture in Tehran, then moved into the theater field. She has performed in various European cities and comes from an activist lineage where almost all members of her family have been imprisoned at some point by the current Iranian regime. Three days ago, her brother, Ali Asadullahi, a well-known writer and poet, a dissident, was arrested in Iran right now. Shailene Asadullahi joins me from Istanbul. Hello. How are you? Thank you for coming back on the program. I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. Um, first and foremost, tell us a bit about him. Uh, tell, tell us what... What, how how can you describe him for us? I know he's a poet who lives in Tehran. Tell us a bit about Ali. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's a complicated to explain why they arrest him, but I prefer talk about he and what he did in Iran and what actually what he do in Iran. He's poeter and uh, he's secretary of Iranian... Um, Writers uh, and Jomani Nagisandegan in Iran. He's secretary of this. And actually, uh, he tried to be as a good human in Iran. And she, he fights about the human rights and equality and good life and work and everything related uh, to freedom, you know. And uh, if you live in Iran and you fight for this, I, I think our government do, uh, doesn't like it and so they follow you, they arrest you, they put you in the jail and they don't care what you say, they just care what they want to do, you know. 
so he, he, he's a poet he's a writer yeah. and and as you say he's been outspoken about human rights for a long time it's not just uh, not just this week or this this during this period right yeah actually for the long time around to 10 years when he start when he went to the university i think he was 19 he started to write about the equality and human rights and he tried to be understand what's the meaning of the freedom in in his way and uh, he uh how can i tell you Sometimes when I, I want to talk about him, I, I a little bit emotional because these days a little bit make me yeah. crazy. So uh, yes, actually, uh, he, he uh, fought for human rights, and uh, yeah. Has actually, has he, Shailene? Has has your brother Ali? Has he um, had trouble with authorities before? Has he ever been arrested before for his human rights work? Yes, uh, around uh, 14, 14 years ago, about uh, we call we call it the Green Revolution, Green uh, protest uh, related to some uh, elect. I give برای سال 88 که زمانی که رعیه ما اونجا دوزدیده میشه و از اون موقع به این بر بارها بارها تهدیدش کردن ولی خب برای خودش ادامه داده و تا به امروز که خیلی چیز عجیبی نیست برای دستگیری این نوع آدم ها. چون به هر حال حکومت ما حکومتیه که ایدئولوژی خودش رو داره دنبال میکنه که بیسش روی ریلیجن و مذهبه و چنین حکومت های توتالیتهی که اینجوری فکر میکنن هرگز به رسمیت شما رو نمیشناسن برای هیچ گونه حرف زدنی okay. برایشون خط so, قرمزه so he's been he's been he was arrested back in the green movement detained for a while he's been warned uh, many times by the regime uh, and he has been this outspoken human rights uh, person i mean it's clear with the crackdown you and i talked about it when when i was in istanbul that um, people are being detained people are being arrested people are being attacked people are being uh, god forbid people are also being executed um, so your brother knew there was some dangers. Um, you, you told me that he actually called you uh, on the weekend. You guys talked, and he said that he thought he was going to get arrested. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What, did, right. he, what yeah. did he say? We talked uh, uh, talk, uh, on the phone, and actually he mentioned it to me. Maybe they, uh, they come and they arrest me. Don't worry, because it's, this is very normal, and uh, they want this, and they called me many times and they uh, they told me if you uh, continue in this way we will arrest you but بذارین اینجا شاید دوباره فارسی به شما بگم اینه که شما الان وسط یک انقلاب هستین میدلان فیر ریولوشنی هستین که به هر حال هزینه داره و برای پرداخت اون هزینه اگه بخواین یه قدم برگردین عقب‌تر و یه قدم عقب‌تر وایسین بعد ها باید هزینه های بیشتری رو پرداخت کنی حالا چه برادر من باشه چه خونهایی که ریخته شده فرق در جریان نمیکنه اینها به هر حال این اقدامو انجام میدن چون وقتی یک به قولی اگه یک سگی زخمی بشه همه رو میگیره 
حالا چه شما باشی چه بزرگتر شما باشه چه آدمای وسط یعنی هر هر کسی هر کسی و اینا مورد حمله قرار میدن که بخوان صدای مخالف باشن و این اتفاق خیلی چیز عجیبی نیست و البته که میتونه سخت باشه من نمیتونم بگم اتفاق سختی نیست ولی با توجه به اتفاقای اخیری که افتاده با توجه به جوانایی که مردن بچهایی که کشتن خود من به شخص خجالت میکشم که بخوام بگم خیلی بابت این مسئله ناراحتم این هزینه ای که ما داریم بابت این تغییر پرداخت میکنیم Can you just tell us what happened was did they come to his house or his work or where did they where did they find him how did the arrest happen They arrested him uh, in his house actually uh, they went there with the gun and they uh, they directly go to his house and arrest him and took all the thing what he has and after uh, with him they go, went to the his office after that uh, was it was happened. it morning or night when was it uh, in the middle of day i think around the 12 12 o'clock in the daytime in the yeah 12 o'clock i and, think and And did they did they say anything to him or to your family about No no just uh, just they show some pre- permit uh, to arrest him from the court and they said okay we have a pre- permission about your arresting and something like that no the justice and So there's no there we, yeah. we don't even know there's no charges or anything it's just that we don't even know what what the actual reason is i mean presumably it's because he's speaking out against the regime but they don't actually even give a reason no there is no reason that, uh, they don't explain anything just directly go and take uh, arrest him and uh, i don't know after what happened but uh, they took all the thing and also they call my family uh, we will let you know what happened about your song but around two days after just my brother called and he started talking look like every day he said okay everything will be okay there is no worry and hmm. uh, they can't put any charge on me and i do nothing wrong and uh, something like that injury began و گفت من کار اشتباهی نکردم و اونا نمیتونن من اصلا شارش کنن و همون جمله که من خودم و خودش همیشه هم دیگه میگیم که دلتو قوی دار گفت دلتون رو قوی دارین به خاطر اینکه این اتفاق رو باید پیش بیاد و مشکل از من نیست مشکل از کسایی که من رو بازداشت کردن Is it true that they put him in solitary confinement? Yeah, yeah, they put him خیلی طبیعیه که اینا شما رو وقتی که در ابتدا میگیرن میذارن در انفرادی به خاطر اینکه بتونن چون عملا چیزی وجود نداره برای دستگیری باید مدارکی ساخته شه و با به بیانی به با شکنجه کردن تو شرط سخت گذاشتن میخوان اون مدارک از شما بیرون بکشن مثلا اعتراف های اجباری که از آدم ها میکشن بیرون که بتونن بعدا علیه شما پرونده سازی کنن و خب 
این کار رو انجام میده اینه انگار روی روالیه که باید انجام شه البته بستگی داره که کدوم نهاد قضایی شما رو دستگیر میکنه اگه اطلاعات اطلاعات باشه روند اونا متفاوت اگه اطلاعات سپاه باشه باز هم روند متفاوت تره ولی خب تا اینجا که پیش میره در ابتدا شما در انفرادی قرار میدید همونجور که خواهر من قرار دارم هر دو دفعه گذشته هر باری که خواهر من دستگیر کردن به زمانهای خیلی طولانی یعنی که از بلندترین زمانهای انفرادی که تو ساله اخر وجود داشتن خواهر من رو گذاشتن و بعد از اون که دیدن نمیتونم کاری بکنن از بند انفرادی به بند عمومی منتقلشون کرد شانیم when you say they took his stuff Uh, what 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 did they take? His writing, his his poetry. What 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 did, what is it that they took? Uno mobileش, laptopش, هر وسیله الکترونیکی که وجود داشت و همچنین مال همسرش رو. All his per, all his mobile, his phone, his computer, anything. So presumably they want to go through that and see what he's been saying, who he's been talking to, all of that, right? Yeah, exactly. و همچنین مار همسرش چون همسرش هم خب الان جز یعنی وکیل هستن و خب با هم که دارن زندگی میکنن هر کسی که دوروبر این آدم ها باشن در اون لحظه بازداشت برشون فرق نمیکنه. هر آنچه که شما دارین موبایلتون یا لپتاپتون هر چی که در اختیار داشته باشین اونها رو هم ضبط میکنن. حالا دلیلش معلوم نیست ولی خب اون هم ضبط میشه حتی که دوست دورش هم باشین و اون لحظه کنارش باشین موبایل شما وسیله های شما رو هم ضبط میکنن و بعدا توی پروسه خیلی عجب غریبی به در میگردونن Um, sadly, your this is these things are not new to your family, um, who have been arrested at different points by this regime. What is your family trying to do to help his case? اعلام میکنن یا صادر میکنن که رد میکنیم دوم از همین که براش وکیل میگیریم ولی خب وکیل در ایران جایگاه یعنی وکیل در دادگاه های ایران در دادگاه های فعلی ایران تقریبا فقط میتونه کسی باشه که گزارش ها رو میخونه یا اعلام میکنه یا میتونه اگر ما چیزی رو بخوایم به اونا اعلام کنه ولی تو پروسه این که بخوان حکم رو صادر کنن انگار تاثیر خاصی نداره و در ادامش هم اونجوری که تجربه ما ما نشون داده ما صدای آدمهایی میشیم که یعنی صدای اعضایی از خانواده ما میشیم که داخل زندان میرن حالا به هر طریقی که شده چون دادخواهی برای انسانهایی که گناه م... گناهی انجام ندادن یا مجرم نیست حق طبیعه هر خانواده است و من خواهر مادرم پدرم و الان در این شرایط خواهر خودم که هنوز زادگاش برگزار نشده خودش الان دوباره یه زندانی سیاسی شده همین روند رو تقیل میکنیم ولی به خاطر اینکه با یک دولتی یعنی حکومتی طرف هستیم که اینا از نظر هم ذهنی هم نظر مغزی و هم نظر سالیانی که نشون دادن موجوداتی نیستن که بتونن روند قانونی رو تقیل کنن و هیچ ارزشی برای جایگاه انسانی قائل نیستندن چه باید بسیار آگاه باشی بسیار محتاط باشی و بدونی که قدم بعدی چطوره چون هر قدم اشتباه بر علیه اون آدمیه که اون لحظه توی انفرادی و اگه بخوام اینطوری بگم و تجربه خواهرم هم بگم 
هر کاری که ما اینجا میکنیم تاثیر بسیار مستقیم بر اون آدم خواهد گذاشت و توی روحیه اون آدم و تو ادامه دادنش And if not, um, you can go back into to Persian. But um, t- tell me how you're doing. I mean, I know that um, you say, well, this is part of what we know happens during a revolution time like this, and there's children dying, so I almost feel guilty for worrying this much about my brother. But but uh, how, how are you? How, how scared are you about his situation? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going من میترسم من مثل یک انسان من, من هم مثل همه انسانه دیگه میترسم من هم بابت این شرطی که وجود داره نگرانم ولی یه چیزی رو میدونم اونم اینه که همه این اتفاقایی که داره به وجود میاد هر کدومش یه پازل از یه، یک انقلابه که باید, باید اتفاق بیفته ترسیدن یک جزوی از یک خصلت انسانیه ولی کن به عنوان کسی که دو تا یا سه تا از اعضای خانوادهش الان زندانی سیاسی محسوب میشن میدونم که این اتفاقاتی که داره پیش میره در آینده باعث میشه که هر این انقلاب این تغییرات و این اتفاقات به سمتی پیش بره که مردم میخوان و این روزا تنها چیزی که من دقدقه دقدق من میکنه اونم اینه که قدرتی که اینا دارن برای این که بتونن به انحراف بکشن هر چیزی خیلی بالاست و حتی از اسما و نام ها و خیلی چیزا سو استفاده میکنن اما من با عنوان یک خانواده زندانی سیاسی خودم و یک ایرانی میدونم که همه نجات ها دارن تو من زندگی میکنن و من با عنوان یک انسان فقط دنبال احیای حقوق انسانی هستم شهروندی هستم حالا این چه برادر من باشه چه خانواده دیگه ای باشه چه مادران داغدار باشه چه کورتهایی باشن که الان به خاطر فقط این که میخوان حقشون رو بگیرن از این حکومت که چهل ساله گرفته نشده چه برای بلوچی چه برای اون بلوچایی باشه که کشته شدن چه برای بخش عرب نشین ما باشه چه برای بخش مازندران ما باشه چه برای گیلان ما باشه چه برای تهران ما باشه و چه برای اون آدمهایی باشه که میترسن هنوز و احساس خطر میکنن و نمیدونن که باید چی کار کنن من فقط اینو میدونم که باید ادامه بدم و این ادامه دادنش به هر نحفی میتونه باشه هر چیزی که از آهده من برمید شاید من امروز یک تاعتری رو اینجا دارم اجرا میبرم که در مورد احیای حقوق زنانه و این کار از دست من با عنوان یک تاعتری برمید من اگه تو ترکیه نمیتونم اعتراض کنم با این تاعتری که دو هفته دیگه اجرا میخواد بره اتفاقات ایران رو شرح میدم باهاش صحبت میکنم این کاری که از دست من برمید و از اون بر هم اگه بتونم صدای کسی باشم اون کار انجام میدم ولی که همین نمیتونم دیگه بیشتر از این چی بر بگم ولی باید ادامه بدیم چون اگه تموم نشه بدتر برمیگره و بر برگشتنش به نفع هیچ کس نخواهد بود شانی نای our thoughts are with your brother and with your family um Thank you for for doing this. I know that it's been an emotional few days for you, and you weren't even sure if you would be up for doing an interview. I I really appreciate it, and and take care of yourself, okay? Okay, you too. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that is full time for Rook. Uh, thank you, everybody who have been listening. Thanks to all our guests today from around the world, and thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Sabi Rohan. 
talented Anahita, our super Parisaw, Smart Pega, Heimertad, and Groovy Shire here. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, you can subscribe on any of our platforms, and we could really use your support if you're inclined to do so. If you like the programming right now, uh, you can help out by becoming a patron by donating a, a few dollars a month. Anything five, ten, twenty-five, we'll take it. It's at rookmedia.com, and you press the support us button. Find me on Instagram at Giango Meshi Mizumbashi. <laughs>